0: You know, it's it's the last night, and I'm, I'm a guest from a planet far, far away, and it's interesting to see some of the different things that sort of inform my sense of the personality of your presbytery, this family camp, and <clears throat> you learn a lot about what not only ends up in the lost and found, but the fact that the stage is the lost and found. <clears throat> but uh, there's, there's there's beef jerky up here. There's all kinds of clothing up here. There are scrunchies up here. That didn't go very far. This one's really cute. Okay. It's a good try. I don't think I'm supposed to announce anything. I have a a prayer request. I've debated in my mind where to put this. I wasn't quite sure, but I have to admit, I'm a little bit distracted, and I don't mind you praying for me. One of your teenagers actually noticed me outside struggling a little bit right before we started and offered to pray with me, and I appreciated it. Uh, We have a a a youth camp that I've mentioned, and I got a call about, I don't know, 30 minutes ago that one of our female teenagers there comes from a really broken home, really bad situation, has walled herself off in a room, and is threatening suicide, and I'm just really broken. So her name is Janessa, and <clears throat> we're going to pray for her. Otherwise, I don't think I can get it to the next thing. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are the author, the giver, and even the sustainer of life. And we have enjoyed a lot of <clears throat> good times and, and laughter. this. A few days together, and we've also contemplated some very serious subjects, and we lift up now, O Lord, a young uh, lady, a a 17-year-old teenage girl from a very broken situation who right now is feeling perhaps as broken as she ever has, and we ask, O Lord, that you would be merciful to spare her life, and even more importantly, to spare her soul. We thank you for the female counselors that are trying their best to uh, reach out to her, we pray even for the police that are on their way uh, to intervene. And we simply ask, O oh Lord, that you would honor your name in the frailty of situations like these. Uh, we pray for mercy and kindness. And that we pray, Lord, even as we continue now to think about the theme of evangelism, that we would remember that at the end of the day, uh, this is holy business. It's serious work. The kingdom of God is at war against the kingdom of Satan. And the kingdom of Satan does not give up easily. We ask, O oh Lord, that Satan's grip on this young lady's heart uh, would be released and that she would be freed from this uh, from this sense of oppression and that she would find in Christ a beautiful, a perfect Savior and in Him hope and peace as well. Bless us now as we look to Your Word. Help us to do that uh, with carefulness and clarity and also with hope and with joy. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Okay, so if you would, please open your Bibles uh, to two texts, uh, to Genesis 29, and then also to John chapter 4. And I meant the reading's a little bit long, uh, but it's really good. So please turn your Bibles to Genesis 29. Help me, I need to hear that sound. It's the first time all week I've chosen not to bring my reading glasses because I was so confident. Uh, and now I can't see. All right, so Genesis, what's that? No, <laughs> I want to wallow in my vanity instead, and that's terrible. All right, so let's hear God's word together from Genesis 29, and as I'm reading, I want you to think about the theme of uh, weddings and wells. Then Jacob went on his journey and came to the land of the people of the east. As he looked, he saw a well in the field, and behold, three flocks of sheep lying beside it. For out of the well the flocks were watered. The stone on the well's mouth was large, and when all the flocks were gathered there, the shepherds would roll the stone from the mouth of the well and water the sheep and put the stone back in its place over the mouth of the well. Jacob said to them, My brothers, where do you come from? They said, We are from Haran. He said to them, Do you know Laban, the son of Nahor? They said, We know him. He said to them, Is it well with him? They said, It is well. And see, Rachel, (coughs) Rachel, his daughter, is coming with the sheep. He said, Behold, it is still high day. It is not time for the livestock to be gathered together. Water the sheep and go pasture them. But they said, We cannot until all the flocks are gathered together and the stone is rolled from the mouth of the well. Then we water the sheep. While he was still speaking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. Now, as soon as Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, Jacob came near and rolled the stone from the mouth from the well's mouth, and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and wept aloud, and Jacob told Rachel that he was her father's kinsman, and that he was Rebekah's son, and she ran and told her father. As soon as Laban heard the news about Jacob, his sister's son, he ran to meet him, and embraced him, and kissed him, and brought him to his house. Jacob told Laban all these things, and Laban said to him, Surely you are my bone and my flesh, and he stayed with him a month. All right, now turn over to John chapter 4 and turn those pages loudly. I do feel better. All right, John chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. We're going to go all the way to verse 30, so stay with me. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with. Thus, Father, we God's word. Let's pray now together. Lord, we ask that you would do now what we cannot do for ourselves, that you would pour living water into our hearts, that you would hydrate us with the gospel, and that we would so fall in love with Christ and all of his beauty and all of his glory, that being caught up in his love, we would desire to share the love of Christ with others. Bless us, we pray. Be glorified and honored, we ask, through Christ our Savior. Amen. Please be seated. So as we begin to think about this text, I'd I'd like you to think uh, just a little bit about uh, weddings. And uh, I mentioned to you a couple days ago that I I remembered the first time that I saw my wife. If you see her tonight, or I guess it won't be tonight, when you see her tomorrow, you can call her, she'll love this, Heather Jean the Beauty Queen. Okay, say it back to me. She will smile every time that is said to her because uh, she was affectionately nicknamed that uh, many, many moons ago. And I remember, uh, not simply when I first uh, saw Heather in our Bible college cafeteria, and you know she just kind of whisked through the cafeteria, and I told you I'd been praying for a godly, athletic, what? You have a fantastic memory. So I'm praying for a godly, athletic, hippie chick. Here comes Heather just uh, floating into the room, and I see her, I fall in love with her. Uh, at that at that moment, every other woman on the planet, like, uh, gained 400 pounds and grew a beard. <laughs> <clears throat> All the rest of the movie went to black and white, and there was Heather in the middle in beautiful color. And I'm telling you, I mean, she just swept me off her feet. It was kind of awkward because... Uh, I was playing in a band at that time, and there was a guy in the band who really liked Heather a lot. I knew that, and I was sitting beside him when Heather walked in the room, and I just remember uh, this distinct impression of of having pity for the guy beside me because I knew that was my wife, and he was going to have to figure something else out. (laughs) And uh, 21 years later, by God's grace, uh, here we are because uh, she's very patient and kind. Uh, I also remember the day that I proposed to her. And uh, the day I proposed to her, I I worked this really nasty job on a boat, uh, literally on a boat that carries frozen chicken from from basically North Carolina, puts it uh, in this giant belly of a boat with these giant refrigerators the size of basketball gymnasiums, and ships it off to Russia. And so I actually proposed to her that morning uh, on the beach, and it was one of those perfect, you know, you kind of, like, maybe it actually happened, maybe I just remember it this way, but it was like an overcast, cloudy day, and I drew uh, a little heart on the sand and got down on my knee. I'm just kind of old fashioned and proposed to her. And the clouds break and the sun comes down and she says yes. And it's all this wonderful. And I go to work. She jogs home. She's still into jogging. And on her way, uh, she stops and uh, sees an uh, older lady gardening. And she just has to tell uh, this lady that she just got engaged. And I'm, I'm just all about her and she's all about me. And it's all these fantastic things. Uh, well, today in this text, what I'd like to suggest is that there's a wedding in the making and it's far more beautiful than what I just described. Because it's a wedding between Christ and his bride. And I, I should say, this is a sermon I, I've or lesson. I can't call it a sermon, right? I'm cheating. It's a sermon I'm turning into a lesson, whatever that means. Um, so... Uh, This is a text I've spent quite a bit of time in, and the more I think about it, the more I really love this text, and the more it really encourages me to think about evangelism, and that's why it's my last uh, presentation on our last night. I know we've got a little bit to do tomorrow morning, but uh, there's a reason why I put this here, and it's because the love of Christ is overwhelming in this text, And part of the way uh, that you see that is by uh, setting up this idea of weddings. I'll explain what I mean by this. Uh, In the Bible, a lot of times, people meet the person that they're going to marry at a well. Okay? Uh, So... Uh, if you're looking at these texts, it's kind of interesting, or at least this text, uh, here you have Jesus meeting this woman from Samaria at a well. Well, you might say, well, okay, so what? They just happened to meet at a well. Well, uh, what's significant about it is this is Jacob's well, and when you begin just to think a little bit about it, uh, when you do your Bible study kind of stuff, and think about, okay, so what else happens at wells? Well, think about a few examples. Uh, In Genesis 24, you have the story of uh, Abraham's servant who's been sent to go and to find a wife for Isaac. And Abraham tells him, go back to my uh, kinsmen, back to my people, and uh, there uh, find a wife uh, for uh, Rebecca. Uh, find a wife for Isaac, who will be Rebekah. And the servant goes down uh, to the land where Abraham had sent him, and while he is there, he prays this prayer, uh, Lord, uh, might it be that the young lady who comes to me and says, Uh, can I help you with watering your animals that she would be the one that would be the wife of Isaac and of course he sits down by this well and as he's sitting there uh, here comes Rebecca and as the story unfolds this is where the bride for Isaac is found okay well that's a one-off but then there's the one uh, that we just read In Genesis 29, you have a similar situation where Jacob, who's fleeing from his brother Esau, uh, goes down to this land of his uh, relative, and while he's there, he stumbles upon uh, this scene at a well, and he's looking for his kinspeople, and I I think this is kind of a boyishly playful scene, because when he shows up, uh, the shepherds say, we're not going to, you know, we don't roll the stone off just yet, it's kind of heavy, and we wait a little while, and then we roll the stone off and water the sheep, okay? Okay. But all of a sudden, uh, Rachel comes up, and when she comes up, uh, Jacob himself goes over by himself, and he rolls the stone away. And I I just kind of picture, you know, he's kind of like this, right? He's just all kind of bumped up all of a sudden, and he pushes the big stone out of the way, and he waters the sheep. And uh, there's this uh, moment of embrace, there's this beautiful little exchange of language where even uh, his uncle Laban will say, you truly are bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. And again, uh, you start to hear the soft little sound of wedding bells in the background. This is the second time uh, a spouse for one of the patriarchs is found at a well. The third is Moses. Where does Moses meet his bride? At a well, right? So when Moses flees Egypt, uh, he goes out into the wilderness. And there in Exodus 4, he sits down by a well. And here come uh, a handful of ladies that are shepherdesses. And among them is this lady named Zipporah. And there by a well, Moses meets his wife. So you have two patriarchs and Moses who meet their brides uh, at a well. And so I'm going to suggest against that backdrop, there's something going on here that's kind of worth thinking about. Well, fair question, what's going on in John? Is this wedding theme uh, in the text as well? And I'm going to say yes, and you're going to agree with me. Uh, And the reason why is because when uh, you start to turn the pages of the book of John, wedding language is all over the place. Where does Jesus perform his first miracle? Yes, and what is that uh, fantastically Presbyterian miracle that he performs? He turns water into wine, and it's really good wine. And all of God's Presbyterian people said, amen, right? Uh, so there at a wedding, uh, Jesus performs his first miracle But uh, even that's kind of small. What becomes more significant is a speech that's made by John himself uh, in chapter 3, where John uses wedding language to talk about Jesus. And he says, let's get some things clear. I'm not the groom. I'm simply the friend of the groom. I'm what we would call today, in wedding language, I'm the best man. And the best man's job, you have to make sure, there's a line here, it's invisible, but I'm starting to see it. Right? By the very last day, I'm, I'm almost getting it. Okay, so John says, I'm basically the best man, and the best man's job is not to get all the attention, the praise, and in particular, the bride, but he's simply there to be a helper. He is a servant. John goes on to say uh, that he, that is Jesus, must increase, and I must what? Decrease. So John says this. He says, I'm not the groom, Jesus is. Very clear in chapter 3. The question is, if you've got a groom, and we're talking weddings, there's at least one more thing that you really need. What is it? You need a bride, right? What's a wedding without a bride? Really awkward. (laughs) Okay? You need those at a wedding, okay? Uh, So if John is not the groom, he's simply the best man. Jesus is the groom, and we're talking weddings, Uh, John even says, you know, the bridegroom rejoices for the groom and his bride, but where is the bride, okay? Well, in John chapter 3, you meet your first possible candidate, and his name is Nicodemus, and Nicodemus is a slithering snake in John 3. He comes in in the dark And he leaves in the dark. In the Gospel of John, uh, darkness is a theme uh, for spiritual blindness. Darkness is not good. Nicodemus comes by night because he doesn't want to be seen. He begins to quiz Jesus about kingdom questions. And Jesus looks at Nicodemus and says, Are you an idiot? That's kind of a paraphrase. Are you a teacher of Israel and you, you don't understand these things? Don't you know? A man has to be born again in order to enter the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus kind of scratches his head and looks like one of the three stooges. And like, I got to go back in my mother's womb. That's a pretty dumb question, really. For, For a grown man, that's a pretty dumb question. But Nicodemus, he's not getting it. And not just does he not get it, he gets rebuked by Jesus for not getting it. And Jesus uh, basically tells Nicodemus, you might be a teacher of the law, but you don't really understand what the law was really trying to say about the nature of the kingdom and how you get into it. And so Nicodemus, who slithers into the story by night, slithers back out of the story in the dark and does not seem to get it. Now, later back in the Gospel of John, he comes back. Uh, But at this point, uh, if you're asking the question, is Nicodemus going to become part of the body, the bride? Does he seem to get it? The answer at this point is no. But what's significant about Nicodemus is Nicodemus is the best of the best of the best of Israel. He is a man. He's a Pharisee. He's a teacher of the law. He seems to be an expert in things, religion. He's as good as they come. Uh, he really is the best Israel's got to offer. He represents Israel at this point, and he doesn't get it. Okay? So, end scene one, if you will, with Nicodemus in chapter three, and now you come to chapter four, and a stage is set by a well. And I, I think that a good you know, Jewish reader of, the, of his Bible would say, oh, something, maybe something's going on here. But who do you have Jesus meeting in chapter 4 but a Samaritan woman? Now, if you know anything about the Samaritans, uh, they were the half-breed people. After the Jews were exiled away, they came back and they had mixed Uh, marriages and so the Samaritans were kind of the the half-breed result of these mixed marriages and the Jews didn't like them Uh, they would say terrible things about the Samaritans Uh, they didn't think the Samaritans got anything right so this woman who is a Samaritan woman uh, really is the polar opposite of Nicodemus if he's the best of the best of the best sir she's like the least of the least of the least don't bother and Jesus it says in the beginning of this chapter had to go through Samaria. This woman is not only a half-breed Samaritan, which by the way, I'm a half-breed, so I don't use the term in a disparaging sense, uh, but you know what I mean. Uh, She is a woman whose life is in shambles. Uh, We've been talking kind of playfully all this week about staying, about staying You have to wait. I know you do, but you have to wait. So, why does she come to this well at this time of day? There's a pretty impressive point here. Uh, she comes to the well at what in our text would be literally high noon, the hottest time of the day. And there's a reason why uh, she comes to this well at high noon at the heat of the day. It's because her life is in shambles and she is literally avoiding people. The irony is, kind of like Nicodemus, she too uh, is uh, seeking to avoid people. Nicodemus comes in the night When no one sees, but this woman comes to the well at the heat of day when no one goes. Uh, She is to put it uh, in a matter of clear speaking, avoiding especially the women of the town. She's avoiding the town talk. She's been the subject of the town talk. Uh, She has been criticized. Her life is in shambles, and it's no secret. She comes to this well at high noon, the heat of the day, hiding in the light of the sun. She comes when no one else comes. She comes alone, bearing not simply her empty water jar, but bearing also her empty, broken heart filled with nothing but her shame. This is a very broken woman. This is a very broken person. The fact that she comes this way says that she has been alienated by the people of her village. She has literally been the recipient of likely anything but love and she comes all by herself. She's sitting there and Jesus begins to not only interact with her but he goes so far as to ask her for a drink of water. She's surprised. So he gets the snarky award. right? So... I just kind of imagine that when this lady uh, begins to interact with Jesus, uh, she actually gets a little bit snarky. Jesus asks her for some water. And she's surprised that she would interact with him, with her. But then Jesus says to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is speaking to you, you'd ask Him for what? Living water. If you knew who I am, you'd ask me for living water. And at this point, I imagine she gets a little dimpled, kind of snarky, sarcastic smile in the corner of her chin, you know, right about there, as she looks a bit more carefully and notices, what does he not have? He doesn't have a bucket. How do you get water out of a well without a bucket? You don't. And she points out, uh, sir, I hate to be the one to mention this, but you don't have a bucket. Where do you get this living water Are you greater, she asked, than our father Jacob, who gave this well to his sons? And Jesus responds again. uh, If you ask and I gave it to you, I would give you water that would well up to eternal life. And you would never be thirsty again. And what she hears is, oh, wait a minute. This guy somehow thinks he can give me something. I never have to come back to this well. I never have to come back here and stand in the heat. I never have to duck from corner to corner hoping that the town's women won't find me and talk to me or about me. Give me this water, she says. Now, I want you to notice something at this point, which you know, if our theme has been evangelism, and you're thinking about doing evangelism and how to do it, and if we're going to learn from Jesus, I want you to notice what Jesus does not do here. He does not begin to give her four spiritual laws. He does not drop a John 3.16 He does not give her, if you will, uh, I'm going to go to the cross for you kind of moment here. In fact, uh, he says something that you might almost find unloving and lacking compassion. What does he say to her? Go call your husband. Now I imagine that snarky little dimple hiding in the corner of her chin disappeared. And with that sentence she stopped smiling. And those words pierced her heart. Go call your husband. Verse 16. And Jesus uh, has her now in a pretty vulnerable spot. She responds, I have no husband. The implication is, I am lonely. I am broken. I am alone. I am in pain. And Jesus Being the good physician, the lover and savior of souls, who's on a rescue mission, causes her to embrace the reality of her broken situation. I I think this is fantastic for what we're talking about, uh, because uh, he really helps her, if you will, come to the very end of herself, in fact, by saying, go call your husband, as she begins to speak back to him, I have no husband. And Jesus confronts her, taking it even one further step when He says to her, you're right. You've had five husbands. And the next phrase is even more forceful. Uh, it's, it's literally, and the man you are now having is not your husband. You've had five husbands. And the man you are now having is not your husband. Jesus, the good physician, Jesus, the Savior and healer, is also Jesus who shows this woman her own heart of hearts. This is a woman whose life really is in shambles. She has sought for love in all the wrong places, as the old song goes. She has found her satisfaction in the pleasures of the night, only to be robbed of her decency and identity in the morning. She is one who has been loved by not one, but two, but three, but four, but five different husbands, and is one who has not learned her lesson yet. She continues now down an even darker trail to live with a man who is not her husband she is experiencing the wages of sin but not hell but hell on earth there's a reason why she comes alone in the heat of the day <clears throat> but jesus again not pouring salt in her wound but grace in her heart brings her to the point of seeing and i think this is very important sins ravaging consequences Uh, Sin and its consequences aren't something just like bad at the end of your life. It actually has scarring effects here and now. And she wears those scars here and now. She might be trying to hide from other people, but she can't hide from herself. And that's exactly what Jesus has to show her before her heart really becomes the empty water jar ready for streams of living water eager to be hydrated woman's life is a wreck she's gone from one man to another over and over seeking everything that she ought to find in God everywhere but say it one last way she's embraced many men but she has not embraced the God of her creation and redemption now uh, she does something that you and I would do what do you do when you get nervous when you're in a conversation you're just not quite comfortable change the subject and what's something you can always get people to debate? Worship. Right? You seem like you're a prophet. You know, our Father said it's over here on that mountain, but you Jews say it's over on that mountain. Jesus goes, uh-uh, we're not going to look. <clears throat> Jews are right, Samaritans are wrong. You worship what you don't know. We worship what we know, because salvation is of the Lord, but God is seeking True worshipers. Why is Jesus having this conversation with her? Why is He here in the heat of the day? Why did He have to go through Samaria? It's not because He needed the water there. It's not because this is a shortcut, it's because God is seeking true worshipers. Jesus is on a rescue mission. Here comes a hero on a horse to defeat the dragon and rescue his bride. He is truly on a rescue mission to seek and save not only true worshipers, but true worshipers who come from the most broken, shambled life stories you can possibly imagine, women like this person we are meeting. Time is coming when mountains will be dust, but true worshipers will be gathered in heaven. And Jesus tells her something that He did not say as plainly to Nicodemus. She says, I know that when Messiah comes, He will tell us all things. And Jesus says to her in Greek, Ego me." I am. I am the Messiah, but I'm also the God of Israel. I'm the one seeking and saving. I am the one you've been looking for. I am the one you've been waiting for. I am the one that's been promised. I am here. I am here in effect for you. But notice how sweetly and tenderly this unfolds. Here is the I Am of Israel standing before her, but not with the thunder of Mount Sinai, but rather the gentle, tender voice of a shepherd, the one who will give his life in order that she might truly find her life in him. As a woman who has been in so many ways naked, ashamed, and exposed, here stands one who seeks not to take advantage of her, manipulate her, ravish her, and abandon her, but rather to cover her sin and her shame with nothing less and nothing other than his own righteousness, to strip away her filthy rags and to wrap her in garments of purity and beauty and love. That's what the Savior has come to do. He is seeking and saving the broken and the bruised and the scarred and healing, making whole and giving beauty again. This is the tenderness and affection of we might even call a marriage proposal. But not like every other man she has married who simply sought to take advantage of her and then leave her. Here is one who is a true man, a true husband, who will lay down his life for his bride. And if you think I've gone too far in suggesting uh, that we ought to hear wedding bells in the background of John 4. I want you to point out what's one last thing. This is the last thing. If I haven't persuaded you by this, six days minus the seventh is just a work week, but that seventh day is fantastic, right? Praise God. So she's had five husbands, and she's now having a guy, a Jew, would quickly pick up this and say, you know what? There's got to be a number seven. Who might that be? That's right. Like the front row. He is Mr. Wright. Right. He's not just Mr. Right Now. He's Mr. Right for all eternity. He is true man. He is true Savior. And He will truly lay down His life for this woman that she might become not His physical bride, but part of the bride of Christ. Here is the true I Am of Israel laying down His life and His tender, condescending love towards this woman that tells her the truth of her sinfulness and its ravishing effects and yet sweetly offers living water. I love this text. I mean, I just love it. Even if I'm completely botching it, I hope you love this text because it's beautiful in what it says about our Savior. And it makes us ask the question, uh, have you met this Jesus and fallen in love? One day, most likely, everyone here is going to fall in love with someone, but everyone you can fall in love with uh, is going to be imperfect, except for my wife. That's my story, and I'm sticking to it. (laughs) Everyone is imperfect. But in Jesus, we have the perfect husband, the perfect Savior. Friends, do you know this Jesus who loves us so much, He tells us the truth about what we are. He loves us so much, He opens up our heart to say, yeah, that's full of cancer, but I can heal it. This might hurt at first, but you're going to be whole when this is over. And I will lay down my life for you, that you might find your life in me. Now, once or twice, I referred to that great theologian and evangelist, Bambi. And I want to talk about Bambi for a minute, because I think there's something really cute and kind of playful going on here at the back side of this text uh, that's awfully Bambi-like. Uh, do you know what the word Twitter-padded means? It means like, so in love, you're just, you're just, you're just silly acting. You seem Bambi, right? I'm getting like blank stares. Is there something bad about Bambi and I missed it? <laughs> I have this great fear. I'm using an illustration. All of a sudden, I'm going to get like 14 emails from Mom's like, have you actually watched the movie? Or okay, so Bambi has this beautiful little piece, right? Where all of a sudden, you know, halfway through the movie, uh, all of a sudden, is it Thumper or Bambi? They fall in love, and uh, Twitter twitterpatted is the word, and they're just kind of bouncing around, and every time they land, little hearts float up in the air. And uh, I remember when I was in Bible college, whenever whenever a guy got engaged, the guys would gather together and they'd sing this this song. Another one bites the dust. <clears throat> because they would just disappear. I mean, they'd quit showing up for basketball. Their grades would go downhill. Uh, they, just, they just fell off the radar. They were Twitter padded, right? Uh, they just, it's like the rest of the world disappeared and there's this tiny little, you know, all they see is her. I remember standing uh, in line. <clears throat> this is going to make me sound like a dinosaur, but when I was dating Heather, and she was in Arkansas, I was in Florida, and I would have to call her on a brace yourselves payphone. For the five of you that remember what I'm talking about, <clears throat> I called my wife on a payphone using a calling card. And I had to stand there in line, sometimes for hours, while the knuckleheads in front of me called their girlfriends, wherever they were, uh, on a payphone, waiting for my bride. And then when I got on the phone, time didn't matter. Classes the next day didn't matter. I got up at 5 to go work at the YMCA. Sleep didn't matter. Uh, All that mattered uh, was Heather. It was Twitter-padded. But I I think what you see in this text is this woman becomes Twitter-padded for Jesus. And I'm going to show you how. If I've made my point that this woman comes to this well in the heat of day because she's trying to avoid the world, right? She's trying to avoid the townspeople. Look at what she does now at the end of our text. When the disciples come back and realize that they're talking together, Uh, notice down at verse 28, so the woman left her water jar. Why'd she come there? To get water, right? She doesn't have any water yet. She drops her water jar. She's not thinking straight. She goes running back to the town, right? To the town. You know what's in the town? People. The very things she's been avoiding. The very people she's felt shunned by and shamed by and reproached by and embarrassed by. The people that she's been running from. The very people she's been avoiding are now people she goes running straight to. That is a changed heart. That is transforming love. She is unaware of that which usually has embarrassed her. She is so aware of Jesus that she makes a beeline straight for the townspeople and she says to them, and I think this is great, uh, this is new convert evangelism. She doesn't drop some fantastic theology. She doesn't say anything remarkably impressive. She simply says come and see. Come and see this man. And what she even adds to it. It blows my mind. Come and see the guy that just told me all about myself. What did he tell her? You've had five husbands. You're living with a guy. This is not right. Come see the guy who just called me out but offered me living water, life, and hope in himself. Come and see Jesus. She's in love. That's how this works. You want to know what motivates us to do evangelism? It's not me telling you, go do it. Evangelism is not the 11th commandment. Guilt is what drove her to the well by herself in the heat of the day. But love is what drives her to go back to those townspeople with the love of Christ now overflowing from her heart. I want to point out uh, one other thing I think is just simply splendid. And again, this is a little bit provocative maybe. But uh, you'll notice that before she runs back and begins talking to the town people, uh, she doesn't take a class from evangelism explosion. She doesn't go through catechism. As far as I can tell, she doesn't even get baptized. She simply met Jesus and fell in love and wanted to go tell others about Him. And the most simple way of saying it, friends, that's what we need. We need to be in love with Jesus. Whether you are just falling in love with Him, or you need to renew your love for Him, just fall in love with Jesus. Over and over and over and over he never gets old. It's, it's just the problems are with us. Renew that love. Be twitter patted again. Recently, we were doing a kind of spring cleaning sort of thing, which is just to say my wife was doing the work and I just happened to show up with a coffee cup. And we saw these old pictures from back in the day when I had no gray hair and she looked exactly like she does now. You better tell her I said that. <clears throat> and it just reminds you, you know, those feelings. Right? Makes you stop and think. 21 years later, you know, how, how, how am I doing with this? Am I still in love? Am I still striving to love her? Are we still striving to love Jesus? You, know, you, could, you could learn. We could spend another couple weeks learning all kinds of fascinating, impressive techniques about evangelism. You know what? It, it wouldn't mean squat if we didn't have love for Christ. But if you have love for Christ, like the Samaritan woman, a lady of the night. If you have love for Christ, no one scares you anymore. No one intimidates you anymore. Social awkwardness becomes, what? Come and meet this guy. You need to meet this guy. Uh, This guy can change your life. He can change your world. This I mentioned earlier is usually my favorite sermon to preach. I know I called it a sermon, but let me just stick with it. But I have to admit, it's a little bit hard today. It's hard because the young lady that I mentioned, and it's honestly I mean I asked one pastor, I don't know, maybe you should preach. I was actually wondering if I can keep myself together. Pretty distracted. Tomorrow when I leave here, I have to go, I get to go visit my older sister. <clears throat> when I tell the story of getting on a Greyhound bus and coming cross country, uh, somebody giving me my Bible, it was actually my older sister who, at that time, was kind of flirting with Christianity. I sometimes question what all has happened since then. Uh, about three years ago, she got MS. Uh, her legs are now buckled back. She can't get out of bed. Her husband left her when she got sick. And we're trying to make plans to take her back to Florida. So here I am talking about wedding bells. And I know there's pain and there's brokenness in the room. And I know some of you have your whole life before you don't have a clue what I'm talking about, pain and brokenness. And that's why I want you to hear this. The only person in your life who will never fail you is Jesus. I've done a lot of weddings, and I've seen a lot of them come out really well, and I've seen a lot of people turn into absolute idiots and do stupid, reckless, destructive things. The only person who will never fail you is Jesus. And if by God's grace you happen to be married to somebody, they don't fail you, and you, you have a life that looks pretty easy when it's all said and done, I mean, that's amazing. But there is a lot of pain and brokenness in the world. And tomorrow when I leave here, i haven't talked to you about these things. I'm going to where the pain is. I'm going to close on two notes, which means I've got 10 more minutes. I told you, don't get excited when I say I'm going to close soon. Uh, There are two notes. The one is, years ago I asked a pastor, actually two, uh, one was R.C. Sproul and the other was uh, Bill Shishko. I don't mind quoting him. He's a good friend. I said, if you were going to start a church someplace, where would you go? Because I was about to start ours from scratch, fully intimidated, like Where do you start when you start from scratch? It's like cooking without ingredients. What do you start with? Well, you don't have any ingredients, right? And uh, so both of these men gave the same answer to the question, if you were going to start something from scratch, where would you go? And their answer was, I want you to think about it, I'd go where the pain is. Jesus went where the pain is. And he brought living water. And he did surgery. Surgery on a broken woman's heart who walks away whole and healed in love with one who she knows now will never leave, never forsake her, the perfect and true husband. And I'm saying to all of you, that's Christ and that's Christ alone. But if you're wondering now, as we practically begin to wrap this up, uh, how you might find opportunities to share Christ with others, go where people are hurting. Because hurting people know they need a doctor. Go where the pain is. And on one, and this really is my, my last point, I'm looking at all my notes, and I, I think I really mean this. Uh, maybe, <clears throat> maybe you weren't completely persuaded about that wedding theme I've been, I've been uh, suggesting here. So I actually have one last little silver bullet I've been actually kind of saving, and it's in Revelation 22, and I want to turn there, we're going to end there. Turn there. Make the speaker happy. White noise for pastors always puts us at ease. No, you don't have to stand. Go ahead and sit back down. It's all right. This is just a cross-reference. That was really nice of you to do that. you're overly compliant your pastors must be really grateful for that so i've been trying to make the point that until christ comes back the most important thing that we do is worship but arguably the second most important thing we do as the church is proclaim the gospel to broken people that they might become worshipers why jesus said it god is seeking true worshipers right to worship him in spirit and in truth but here at the end of the Bible, literally the last chapter of the last book, in verse 17, it says something that I think grows out of that hydrated soil of John chapter 4, and it relates to our theme, when John says there, the Spirit and somebody say, come. Let's do it again. The Spirit and the who? The bride. The bride. The Spirit and the Bride say, remind me again, what was the first word out of her mouth when she got back to her townspeople? The Spirit and the Bride say, come. Come and see Jesus. Uh, Maybe you don't have all the great theology and apologetics to argue with people about everything they want to argue about. How about this? Come to my church with me. Come and hear the Word of God preached. Come and see Jesus as He's displayed in the glory of our worship. Uh, Come, the Spirit and the bride. It's the Spirit who opens the hearts of people, but the voice, right? How shall they hear unless someone is sent? The Spirit and the bride say, come. And this is why I think it's coming out of John 4. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is what? Thirsty. The one who is thirsty, let him come. And let the one who desires take the water of life without price. Do you know how much... Okay, trick question. Is your salvation free? Right. Trick question, right? You're smart enough not to say it too quickly. It's free for you. The water of eternal life is free for you. Right? but it cost Jesus his life. And the Spirit and the Bride say to the end of the age, to you who are thirsty, come and drink freely of that living water that Christ has secured with His own life. Together, Lord, we admit that there is a lot of brokenness and pain in this world. We've had... Four or five days—I've lost track now—of just great fun, and more of that to come. And while we're here, enjoying the good time that we are having together, we ask the Lord as well that You would help us to recognize that there there are people in the world who are in pain. There are women like the woman of Samaria. Uh, there are men, boys, and girls like this young teenager at. Uh, our camp back in Florida. There are people who are lost and broken and the wages of sin have ravished them already. Perhaps not even their own sins. Perhaps even the sins of others. And we know, Lord, that there is only one truly good and effective physician, and his name is Jesus. We ask, O Lord, that you would help us to fall in love with Jesus over and over and over again. That we would have that childlike love that we would be Twitter-padded in our hearts for Jesus in such a way that the things of this world would grow truly and strangely dim. And yet at the same time, our purpose in this world would become abundantly clear. And I pray, O Lord, uh, for the covenant kids who are here. And I ask, O Lord, that even at this age, you would help them to cherish Christ in their hearts as the one who will truly never let them down And while they might have many good friends and family members and perhaps uh, even uh, faithful companions through life, at the end of the day, Lord, help us to remember that Christ is the only one who perfectly keeps all his promise, the chief of which is that he will never leave us nor forsake us. Lord, thank you for the wonderful salvation that we have in Christ. Help us now together to spread the fame of King Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.